0: 30 people on the team were mainly focused on copying the features of BlackBerry um, instead of trying to make something new, and Windows Mobile at the time had everything that you would expect from Android or iOS. It had full threading, a memory model, it was an advanced operating system that also was a phone. And so, you know, that was a very obvious example of the opportunities that startups kind of have all of the time because most big companies are sort of stuck in that way of thinking. Like you have a battleship and the captain is thinking about their next promotion, not, you know, where the fleet should actually go.
1: Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories, and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. This is part one of a two-part interview with Gary Tan, co-founder and managing partner of Initialized. Gary tells us about his worst mistake ever, one that cost him hundreds of millions of dollars whether the Bay Area is still the best place to be a VC, and some of the coolest business models and companies Initialized are investing in right now. Shortly after I interviewed him, Initialized raised its fourth investment fund of $225 million. Gary co-founded the financial analysis platform at Palantir Technologies, and founded and sold Posterous, a blogging platform to Twitter. And he was a partner at Y Combinator for five years. Great to meet you here at MoneyConf, Gary. So who's Gary Tan? Please tell us your
0: story. Oh, well, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, felt like you know, it was really the backyard of Silicon Valley. It was that uh, we knew that Apple had started there. And you know, frankly, I was obsessed with Bill Gates as a kid and uh, you know, learned to code and got my first job by going to the internet section in 1996 and I was only 15 years old. So I just started cold calling because I knew how to make web pages. And so got my first job that way, then started um, learning to code. And so I got an internship with uh, one of the first uh, e-commerce um, agencies. So they actually created the first Apple e-commerce store. And um, you know basically got my start by just making web software in uh, you know, 96, 97, 98. Um, found myself teaching Um, You know, people kind of twice my age how to do web programming, and um, ended up at Stanford studying computer engineering. And so after that I ended up going up to Microsoft to work on Windows Mobile. And so they gave me, uh, you know, as a 22-year-old software engineer, um, you know, program manager, uh, basically all of the scenarios that would make the iPhone great three or four years later. (laughs) Uh, so it was, you know, photos, music, and they gave it to a, you know, twenty-two-year-old out of college, and uh, they gave me no engineers for it. <laughs> so, but that, you know, that was something that taught me um, how really big companies sort of think very, very early. It was, um, you know, thirty people on the team were mainly focused on copying the features of BlackBerry. Um, instead of trying to make something new and Windows Mobile at the time had everything that you would expect from Android or iOS. It had full threading, a memory model, it was an advanced operating system that also was a phone and so that was a very obvious example of the opportunities that startups kind of have all of the time because most big companies are sort of stuck in that way of thinking like you have a battleship and the captain is thinking about their next promotion not you know where the fleet should actually go
1: very good uh, and you mentioned you, you you live and work in the bay area um, is that is that the best place in the world for a VC to be right now
0: I don't know. Uh, you know, part of it is crypto is making these projects basically global on day one, so um, it kind of doesn't—it almost doesn't matter where you are in the world. And you know, you could argue that Berlin or Toronto or Buenos Aires or you know Brooklyn, any of those places might be better. Okay, cool. Um, you were employee
1: number ten in Palantir, with the so-called PayPal Mafia founding it. That must have been amazing. Could you elaborate a little bit? On oh, yeah. Experience?
0: Well, um, you know, I was up at Microsoft, and friends of mine from college actually started working on a project with Peter Thiel back in um, 2004. And I got a call from them. And they said, hey, come down, have dinner with Peter. And uh, there's almost no way he remembers this. He, um, it was about the time he wrote the $500,000 check to Facebook. And uh, he had just opened a French restaurant called Frison. Um, and we sat in the middle of it, um, you know, I think the, the restaurant died, the Facebook investment went very well, and uh, here was Peter Thiel sitting across from me trying to convince me to quit my job at Microsoft, I was only a year out, um, and he said, what are you doing, you're wasting your time there, come join us, I'm so sure this is the right thing, uh, and he got out his checkbook and he said, how much a year do you make at Microsoft, I'll write you a check for that right now, and this will be literally a zero risk opportunity for you. And I was 22 years old, didn't know anything about startups, about funding, about how any of this stuff worked. And I said, uh, thank you very much, Mr. Thiel, but I might get promoted in my next annual review. And I got on a plane and went oh back to God. Redmond.
1: And he was going to pay you one year salary. Oh yeah, up front, up front. out of his personal and you were pocketbook. Gonna, and then you were probably going to get another salary when you joined, Well, I right? mean, I
0: would have been, um, you know, first engineer or co-founding engineer of Palantir which you know would have been worth hundreds of millions at least Um, and so that you know easily is one of the worst mistakes I've ever made but now I get to um, go to college campuses and tell my story about um, (laughs) it's a great story don't don't do as I do Um, (laughs) but you know what I didn't understand at the time was how powerful very smart sets of engineers um, really are it's that if you are at the founding team of something that goes on to really you know put a dent in the universe then that's like the most highly levered sort of situation possible and it was with uh, some of my closest friends who I had worked with who I trusted very implicitly and so sometimes the universe comes and knocks on your door and it's opportunity and uh, basically the right thing to do is say yes
1: (laughs) These days some VCs have upgraded their public image from boring sometimes quite impressive I love the Sequoia website for example to like a roll call of inspirational success initialized has a beautifully designed website with very clear brand and beautiful graphics and you describe yourselves as the honey badgers of venture now I know investors will look for badass fearless thick-skinned agile startups but are you saying you you as a VC are living those qualities too
0: yeah, trying to. Um, we think of ourselves as um, founders of our own, and um, you know, this is merely our, our newest startup that you know. Frankly, we hope will last hundred years. That's one of the um, internal sayings that we have. That you know, let's build a system for funding startups that um, you know is different. We, we want we want the website to reflect how um, you know we want to operate as um, you know. VCs who are sitting side by side with founders and trying to help them. Um, I love so the. We want it to be different.
1: I love the 100-year uh, vision for to create long-term companies, which of course is a real challenge these days. Um, can you mention um, your investment in Algolia, a company that's you know right up there in the top right-hand corner of enterprise software search and G two Crowd? And I, I interviewed Nic- Nicola Desagne, uh, who's the second person interviewed of the series. Um, I have the feeling it's going to be a huge play. Um, What attracted you to Algolia?
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, for us, being software engineers, um, it actually helped us a lot because I um, got to use it as a part of uh, the software I built. So when I was at Y Combinator actually working with Nicola, um, I ended up implementing it for our internal software, the uh, internal social network that I built for Y Combinator. And um, it's just exactly what you want. I would know, fought with Sphinx, I would fought with um, Elasticsearch, uh, it was by far and away the easiest way to get search going. Um, it just worked out of the box and you never have to think about it and so just on the, the strength of the product alone, we just knew it was going to be very, very special and you know, since then he's built a very world-class team to bring it to the world. And he's built that team in
1: Paris. Uh, is there a lesson to be learned for companies in terms of being able to build engineering teams quickly in a cost-effective way? There, uh, it's so expensive to hire people in in the Bay Area.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know one of the things we're most worried about in San Francisco is actually uh, housing prices are obviously out of control, and so you know um, venture capitalists are raising larger funds. They're investing into larger rounds into companies that turn around and have to pay more to engineers, who then pay. Their landlord, and so um, I think that we're reaching some sort of tipping point um, where both Silicon Valley, um, in terms of policy, needs to change the way they approach uh, housing, in particular. But at the same time, um, that means it's a very good time to start a company or grow engineering teams elsewhere, outside outside of the Silicon Valley. And uh, can you mention?
1: any other SaaS companies uh, on your books that you're interested
0: in right now? Absolutely. One of the things uh, that we're most excited to see is a company like EasyPost, where they start off with something very simple, um, which is you know, the, the easiest way to get shipping labels printed. Uh, but they're working in a space that is so big. They have you know a non-trivial percentage of parcel, shipping, Um, in the United States going through their system and that gives us them tracking and pricing data not on just one carrier but every carrier that exists and so what that allows them to do is offer the same sort of data analytics and scale um, to SMBs and enterprises that are not Amazon that Amazon frankly has and that's one of the biggest sort of broader tech trends that we're seeing right now in the marketplace that you know, the past four years have been this crazy time of Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google uh, growing in two trillion dollars worth of market value, and then precisely at the same time, um, you know, every public company, every public company that exists today, one quarter to a third of them will actually go out of business or be acquired in the next five years. Wow! And so we feel like you know, the rise of big tech, of uh, you know, these huge tech juggernauts that have both the data and the software engineers to build far better you know decision-making tools in the form of machine learning um, that's existential now for the rest of uh, every industry and e-commerce is certainly one of them and so you know, now we're seeing the biggest opportunities are kind of like easy post actually enabling um, everyone else who sort of has to go against Amazon to have uh, tech and tools and data that is as good as what Amazon has.
1: Interesting. Any others?
0: Yeah I mean beyond that I think there's um, future of work around uh, you know one of our favorite companies is Rainforest QA and so just what they do is um, make it easy for you to crowdsource all of your black box testing um, for your software. And so, a test you, know, you might have a thousand test cases that um, a single team of one or two people might it might take days for them to do. But instead, Rainforest allows you to basically do all of those test cases um, within hours, or sometimes you know less than an hour. And they do that by actually leveraging the full uh, set of sort of ten or 10, twenty thousand software uh, you know software testers out there who can all sort of operate in parallel and so it's you know very interesting and in sort of remaking the way software is being made
1: Second and concluding episode with Gary. He's going to tell us whether he's on the love or hate side of the most polarizing technology in the world today, blockchain. And he let us know about how he goes about discovering systems to be disrupted. You've been listening to 14 minutes of SaaS. Thank you to Ketsu for music provided under a Creative Commons license. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.